Well, I'll pray for us to get started and then we'll we'll do this. Don't be intimidated by this video. If you can't hear everything, it's it's sort of just a guide. We're gonna talk about everything that it talks about anyways, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with us tonight as we attempt to understand your word and just allow it to allow it to grow us and allow it to draw us closer to one another and to you and as we sit here tonight, uh, let this be a time of hope that your word is the only truth that exists on this earth. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right. So the goals, the goals of this session is that we should all walk away from the discussion uh, knowing... I'm messing up here. Okay, I'm sorry. So the main idea of the session is when we build our lives on the gospel, we will pass the faith to others because God has given us his spirit who guides and empowers us. Can you all hear me fine back there? Jim, can you hear me fine? Okay. Uh, Head change is to know that we have been appointed messengers of the gospel by God through Christ Jesus. A heart change as as we go through this session should be to feel confident that God's Spirit will enable us to overcome any fears preventing us from sharing the faith with others. And life change would be to trust that God's Spirit will guard us and use us to pass the faith on to those around us. So here's an opening question. How much, and this is related to the book of 2 Timothy, how much do you know about your spiritual lineage? Who passed the faith down to you? How much do you know about your spiritual lineage and who passed the faith down to you? Surely somebody passed the faith down to everybody here, so we should all have an answer. Well, I actually consider her my sister-in-law, but she was um, married to my brother, and she's the one Was anybody else in here led to faith by someone, I hope? I was. The guy that led me to Christ is coming here Sunday, so y'all will get to meet him. She in Paulus. Was she she lived in Paula's house? No, not related to the whole time. Yeah. She had the house with her. That's all his parents did. Oh, okay. I've heard her name over and over and over here. So, passing the gospel down to others is a key tenet of the Christian faith. And in the opening passage passages of 2 Timothy, Paul's second letter to his true son of the faith, we get a front row seat to the passing of the torch of faith. In this first session, the pastor, Joby Martin, teaches us 
about receiving the faith, passing on the faith, and even in the face of fear and suffering, suffering, standing firm in the faith, we'll see that the Spirit of God, whom we've received, who lives in us, does not make us fearful, but guards us and gives us power for sharing our faith with others. So we will read First, uh, Second Timothy all the way through. Second Timothy, is everybody there? It's the next book after First Timothy. Yeah, it's not long. All right. Second Timothy, verse one through eighteen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of this testimony about our Lord, nor nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. Which is now, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are by Gaelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of one Siphorus, or uh, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Play that video, Josh. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, grab them, and we're going to be in 2 Timothy. 
The whole idea about 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul, who has been called by the Lord, is now equipping and raising up young Timothy to be the pastor of the church in Ephesus. You see, what he's doing is passing the torch on to this upcoming generation. And the theme throughout all of 2 Timothy is simply this. Faith is not something that happens to you, but it happens through you. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy. And what Paul is now going to say is these words that I am sharing with you are not merely my own words. These words are coming from the Lord himself to get you ready to be the man that he has called you to be, to be the pastor that he has called you to be. So Timothy, my beloved child, what I want you to notice all throughout 2 Timothy is this kind of relational language because we're going to find out that the Timothy grows up without a father or at least a spiritually absent father. And Paul is going to play this fatherly role in his life. And he goes on to say grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. I want you to notice here the, the language of passing the torch from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience is I remember you constantly in my prayers, day and night. I want to ask you this, if you're a believer, who's praying for you? And who are you praying for? You see, church is not just a, an event that we attend. Church is a, a family that we belong to. Then he goes on to say, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Do you have those kind of discipleship relationships? Do you have men and women around you, a band of brothers or sisters that you cry with, that you long to see, that you pray for? Because Paul is remembering this time in Paul and Timothy's life where they shared an experience together, where he says, I remembered your tears. Pay attention to that. We'll come right back to that in a minute. In verse 5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Now, if you're paying attention, who's missing here? You see no mention of Timothy's father. The only mention in the Bible that we can find of Timothy's father is way back in Acts chapter 16. He's never mentioned by name. Only his ethnicity is mentioned. But it's by the faith of his grandmother, the faith of his mother, that the faith is passed on to Timothy. Now, I will say this. There are no grandchildren in the faith. That God doesn't save last names. He saves first names. But, but our roles as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and church leaders is this, is to take the kindling and put it around the hearts of the little ones that God gives us authority over so that when the spark of the Spirit lights, then their heart will come on fire for the Lord. And then the crux of all of 2 Timothy is the next couple of verses. Paul says this, For this reason... Timothy, I remind you to fan and flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You see, I think this is a clue to let us know what Paul was talking about when he says, I remember your tears. Again, way back in Acts chapter 16, Paul comes across this young man, Timothy, and he's got a lot going against him in his life, but 
But Paul says, I have been called by God. And Timothy, I call you to come and do ministry with me. And for the next several chapters through several different cities, they do ministry together. And then by the time you get to Acts chapter 20, the Bible says that, that Paul gathers the elders of the church at Ephesus, of which Timothy is going to be the lead elder at the church of Ephesus. And he gathers them together. And the apostle Paul lays his hands on Timothy. And he speaks a word into him. Now, Timothy is already a believer, so he already has the gift of the Spirit. But in this moment, Paul begins to speak words into Timothy. He begins to tell Timothy some things that maybe Timothy has doubted his entire life. And I believe this is the moment that they're crying. In fact, Acts chapter 20 says they all cried afterward. And how do I know this? Because I can tell you this. You take a young man like Timothy who definitely has some like father wounds and issues. And then you take a man like Paul who was a father figure to him. Who was the most spiritually authoritative person on the planet. And that person in authority, that man in authority lays his hands on this young man. And he speaks life into him. And when that happens, <laughs> there will be a dry eye in the house. Listen, I know this to be true. The night before we launched the church that I have the pleasure of serving now, my elders gathered around me in our sanctuary. They laid hands on me and they spoke truth into my life. And I'm just telling you, I cried and cried and cried. And some people cry, cool, man. There's some old guys that cry, cool, like one tear, like the Terminator, but not me. When I cry, I convulse. I look like a seventh grade girl that just watched The Notebook. It's not good. I imagine that's how Timothy's crying because Paul says, I remember your tears. And then of all the things that God leads Paul to say to Timothy, here are the words that he speaks over. He says, Timothy, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Now you may ask, why? why? Why did Paul say these specific words to Timothy? I think, I think there's a lot of labels that Timothy had to overcome. I think there's a lot of whispers of the enemy that Timothy had a tendency to believe in. You see, he starts with this. He says, God did not give you a spirit of fear. I need you to know, fear is not a feeling. Fear is not simply an emotion. Fear is not a personality type. Fear is a spirit that does not come from God. And Timothy has a whole bunch of things to overcome. And the whispers of fear will lie to us. Maybe some of the lies that Timothy believed is this. Timothy, you're too young. You're too young to be a pastor. I mean, everybody that you come in relationship with to disciple, they're going to be older than you. They're going to be more experienced than you. Maybe this is why Paul is going to say to Timothy, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth, but set for them an example in life, love, speech, and purity. We know that Timothy is, is a bit sickly. He's got some kind of stomach problem going on. It could be every time he stands up in front of people, he gets so nervous that he has a stomach issue. Maybe this is why Paul is later going to say, Hey, take a little wine for your stomach. It could also be the fact that Timothy grows up without a dad. I mean, he grows up without a father figure. He's spiritually absent. And all of this swirls around in his mind and in his heart. And he is full of fear. So Paul says, not in you, Timothy. God did not give you a spirit of fear. You see, fear is a liar. 
And the opposite of faith is not doubt, which is really good news. If you've got a lot of questions and doubt about the claims of Christianity, I've got really good news for you. You could be a great disciple. The Bible would just say, just pick up your doubts and follow after Jesus. And one day, all of your doubts will go away. Not like next Tuesday, but when we are in heaven, you won't doubt Jesus anymore. Because, because then our faith will become silent. So the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Because fear paralyzes. And faith produces action. Here comes Paul along and lays his hands on Timothy. And basically what he's saying when he says, God is not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. He's saying this, Timothy, the world does not get to tell you who you are. I want you to hear this too from the word of God. The world does not get to tell you who you are. You are not defined by your past. You're not defined by your divorce. You're not defined by your affair. You're not defined by your addiction. You're not defined by your sin. You're not defined by your scars, by your temptation, by your sexuality, by whatever the thing is that this world tries to label you as. Because only Jesus gets to tell you who you are. And Jesus says, if you trust in Christ, that you are more than a conqueror, that you are bought, that you are redeemed, that you are a son of the most high king, and what God has put in you is not fear, but what he has put in you is power and love and self-control. The most commanding thing in all the scripture is this, don't be afraid. That I've read that there are at least 366 commands in the Bible where there is some version of don't be afraid, fear not, be strong and courageous, don't worry, be anxious for nothing. Why 366 times? I don't know about you, but every single day of my life, I need to wake up and hear from our Heavenly Father, don't be afraid for I am with you. Paul goes on to say, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So for the rest of the chapter, Paul is going to instruct Timothy. So build your life and ministry on the gospel. Don't put your faith in circumstances. Snatch your trust back from those circumstances and put your faith and hope in the one true God. And because of that, you have nothing to be afraid of. Don't believe the whispers. Don't believe the lies of the enemy that try to condemn you. One of the things the enemy constantly tries to do with the life of the believer is he wants you to believe that your life is defined by your scars. He says, look at them. They're your scars. You earned them. You did it. But then Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. You're not defined by your scars. You're defined by mine. That the resurrected Christ gives us the power, gives us a sound mind, gives us self-control, gives us the power of love. And it's on that gospel that we stand. And it is on that gospel that we walk by faith in the ministry that God has for us. And so may you, may you right now, if you struggle with fear if you have a tendency to be shut down by fear may you hear the words of god over you for god has not given you a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of self-control amen So regarding the Christian faith, what does it mean to pass the torch to another person? Why did Paul need to pass the torch to Timothy? To what extent is it important for all Christians to pass the torch to other Christians? 
I reworded all of those questions to my own question of, do you make it a prop? I think we all understand why it's important to pass the torch because Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. So our faith has to go out of our mouth to another person for the torch to be passed. And it it can be a one-time thing, but discipleship is not a one-time interaction. So do you all, do we as a church, are we making it a priority to pass the torch? Our children's ministry here, I think, is a good testimony in that. Just past the Bible school, the dedication of the people who showed up to do the job, that's where we have to start. Yeah, and I think if you just think about one-on-one relationships, it can be as simple as having a meal together, you know, or... uh, or just conversations, just conversational discipleship of how's your relationship with Jesus going? How's, you know, what are you struggling with? We're all struggling with something. Just those simple questions can lead into sharpening of one another. In the Old you can easily see the generational faithfulness here because it one the length of time two the financial health of the church the spiritual health of the people that's exciting i mean i don't know the math what's the math how many years 220 years we should, shouldn't we be celebrating or something it was march I guess 225 is going to be the next one. That's the next milestone. I have to say that long? I know. Yeah. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, that suits me fine. I kind of see, you know, I know we minister to children here, but I think a lot of us here, as we get older, we're kind of looking like just things we say and do with. So if I'm 60, so <laughs> you know, you kind of you are you kind of take interest in the 30 sums and the 40 sums and what's going on in their lives and their families and try to encourage them. And, you know, and I think that's about where we, when I read this, I think Paul was really uh, he, he's affection 
world championship. He cares about it. He knows it. He knows his history, his family. You know, like we talk about two all the different ones that have been here. And, uh, that's, that, I guess this is this is family here. We can think about those who have been before us and, and stayed the course or witnessed to us just by being here, being steadfast, carrying on with the ministry, and battling with the next generation. You were where I was when I started here, maybe a little But, you know, and so the see Magnus and the development blood and all the older generations where I'm at now. How they poured into us and were a witness to us despite being here going and carrying on. So, uh, you know, we're, I think that's the generation that just keeps getting passed down. Yeah. That was Church of Butler used to have a Sunday school class that they would start with TPL class. That's what Timothy Ewan said, Wallace. Say it again, Timothy. What? Yes. Okay, Timothy Unison. Yeah. That's neat. It's telling me here to read 2 Timothy 1 1 and 2 again. So, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Opening is is jam packed. Uh, the opening line of Paul's letter to Timothy is jam packed with theology. In it, he calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. In other words, he's been chosen by God and appointed to the work he's doing. The question is, when you recount your story of coming to faith, can you see God's will at work, and how so? And I'll share I'll share my my answer. So when I came to faith, I was I wasn't like at an all time low or anything. I wasn't I, I was it was just normal me, you know. But but I was questioning <coughs> the importance of certain things, or I was focusing on all these things to to pursue happiness or seek happiness or whatever you do while you're lost. I wasn't depressed or down and out or anything. I was just really really questioning stuff in a deeper way than I probably ever have. And right at that time, somebody came and shared shared the things of the faith with me. Just at the perfect time, at the perfect place, you know, God, God chose this time on His own timing. So, I didn't ask this guy to come to my house and share his faith with me. He, he just did. He pursued me through faithfulness and his understanding of how important it is to pass the torch. So I can definitely see God's will at work in my story, especially looking back on it, you know, in hindsight. I didn't fully understand it in the beginning, but looking back, it was it's baffling to think about. Did y'all get hot? I'm not sure how much God knows our heart because He knows exactly right point in our lives when we're going to be open to receive this word and who he's sending to speak to us. Yeah. We're at a, in the back part of our lives. I mean, some people are receptive to that, but if you've got a closed heart, you're not going to hear anything. Um, but he knows just the right time and the right person to send to
to either bring you back into the fold if you've fallen away from it, or to bring you into the fold of the person. It's a God thing. It's a God thing. Somebody in the right spot at the right time. Okay, you have a theory on how you got here. What's the, let's hear the theory. Well, we were without a pastor for three years. And he brought El, Brother LD here to fill in for two of those three years while he was, while the Lord has prepared you to come take over. I don't disagree with it because if I think about three years ago, I wasn't mature enough to be here. I don't doubt your story. I like it. <laughs> Write it down in 20, at the 225th anniversary. We'll put it in the lively stones. <laughs> update. Two. Yeah, update. Yeah. But by the, I mean, the three is, I there's always like, I know three was like a specific number that God released. And then and by 20, our 20, 225th, then that's going to be like seven years, close to seven years that we were going to make you getting here. So, you know. Yeah, that Sunday that that other guy left and you called me, that was wild. You said that. Well, the other guy said he wasn't interested. <laughs> You're the last man standing. <laughs> he probably said it just like that. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, okay. How can his statement, "My dearly beloved, my dearly loved son," help inform the way you read this letter? How can it inform the way you view the task of disciple making? Yeah. Yeah. Makes the story a lot Yeah, just the way that uh, Paul took Timothy in as a son. You know, it, discipleship is like welcoming somebody into your faith family, which is what God does for us. It, it, if we're saved, we're children of God, and He adopts us into His His own. And we do the same when we when we share with others. And I think that it signifies that you don't you don't just get them saved and leave them. You know, like when you think on a child, you have a child, you you bring them up, you raise them up, and so you know you help them along in their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously that's not always possible. Like let's say you get this individual so you can touch your dog as yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that's, I don't know, I think that's part of it. Even through the hard times. Do you have anyone in your life whom you could refer to as your dearly loved family member? If so, who? What priority do you place on passing the torch of faith to them? That's a lot of questions in one question. I didn't provide an answer to that one. How about we skip it? There's so many other ones. Let's just go on. Let's move on. I don't like the question. Second <laughs> <laughs> Timothy uh, three one three through twelve says, "Thank God, 
I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this lesson I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So in verses 3 and 4, Paul writes about the act of remembering. He remembers Timothy in his prayers, and he remembers Timothy's tears and his sincere faith. This act of remembering leads Paul to thankfulness and stirs up a longing to see Timothy again. Question, in what ways is the act of remembering important to the Christian life? How often do you set aside time for the practice of remembering? And I think remembering, my answer is, remembering people or God-ordained events in our lives can be an encouragement or a great reminder of things that have happened in our story in the past. So that we have, you know, Scripture talks a lot about endurance, like run the race. It takes a lot of endurance to not just give up. You know, this life on earth is not easy. Sometimes you feel isolated, but sometimes there are times when you look back on things, on the faithfulness of God. Like when when we're going through spiritual highs and lows, when you're at a high, you don't have to stop and really think about things are going really well. So, you know, I'm in the moment and like I'm really excited. I'm joyful and this and that. And, and all of a sudden things start fading out and you're like, oh, no, God, where did you go? But you don't want to get stuck in that. You can think back on times where God's faithfulness, God's still faithful. We're just not having the best of times at the moment. So I think remembering the importance of remembering for the Christian is that it allows us to realize, you know, things aren't always going to go the way we want. But there's been a time, a time in our past that things have gone really well, which would which would tell us that most likely things are going to get better as we remain faithful to God because he's faithful to us. Makes you realize when you look back, the hard times, you're surviving, and good times came. Mm-hmm. And you just got to have faith in what's going to happen again. Yeah. You're not going to give me more than I can handle, but you're going to be with me. The problem with being human is that, like, if you break a bone, it really hurts. But then the pain goes away, and you forget how bad it hurt. Like, and then being a Christian sometimes, you go through a really tough trial and God pulls you out of it, but time goes on and you forget how exciting it was that God pulled you out of that muck. You know, He's done it for me several times. 
So I think the remembering is important because we don't want to forget how great God is and how faithful He is. I don't want to forget it. One of the themes of this session and the entire letter, as Joby mentioned, is the idea of passing on our faith. And in verse 5, we get another glimpse of handing down the faith when Paul mentions Timothy's lineage of faith, a faith that was transferred from Lois, his grandmother, to his mother Eunice, and then to him. How far back can you face? Can you trace your spiritual lineage? I've only got, I can only trace mine three. Well, I assume the question means the person that shared their faith with me was Mac. The person that shared, uh, the person that led him to Christ's name was Jamie. I don't know who led Jamie to Christ. I don't even know Jamie. But the second part of the question is, which might be easier to answer, is who are the people who who have shaped your faith? And for me, a person, Mac, Mac was the biggest one. But as as my walk with Christ went on, and content, obviously it's still happening, but but somebody I used to work with somebody uh, at a construction company who used to be a, he was a pastor, and this was probably year. I'd probably been a Christian for somewhere between two and three years when I met him. And I was asking him a whole bunch of questions, and he was giving me a whole bunch of answers. And I think the most important interaction that we had was he told me some things about his time as a, he was a full-time, he was a full-time pastor, and things did not go well within his church. There was a lot, things went well until something didn't go well. And there was abuse of a, there was abuse of a child and all this stuff. And you hate to hear that stuff, but it was a good lesson for me to encounter this this guy who's still a very, very good friend and a close friend in the faith. But uh, he's, 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 he remains a big resource to me and a great friend. Does anybody have anybody who has shaped their faith over the years? Yeah. 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 God was faithful to, to bring us through that time. Yeah. If you're in the church, the whole church family.
you, I just feel like my family was uh, delivered from all that. What about you, Mary? You you had something. something I struggle with is persistence it's hard to know I mean I don't think God ever wants us to give up on people but but he all he also says you know if you're not welcome in this place or in this town to dust dust the wipe the dust from your sandals and move on you know we you can't be so persistent that you stick with the person that's not interested that you avoid all everyone else it's just a hard I'm grateful for their persistence 
and that was a great story. I need to be. I need more persistence. Is what I'm telling you. Thank you for sharing. I was going to Boston and I found some papers. And one day I walked in and I didn't think, I don't think she knew I was there, but I heard her praying for each and every one of the grandchildren. And I thought to myself that that was testimony to me at that point because I thought, you know, I, I lay my head down every night and pray for my kids. But until she made that, Available to me, or made me realize that even after they're full grown, I still need to be praying for them. Mm -hmm. And she never gave up. She was always praying for them. And, you know, she's what got them through some of the probably the hardest parts of their lives and this church, of course. But um, that was a testimony that stuck with me from her that was from back when my kids were little. Mm -hmm. And I thought to that day, and I said, okay. She's not forgetting them. I'm not going to forget them either. You know, it's a good testimony. We've had a good time of remembering already, haven't we? Oh, <laughs> uh, where am I? Oh, Bellevue Baptist. Come on now. I don't even know where I'm at. <laughs> 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 what do I have? Remembering years back, I was actually just thinking about the ladies that were in 2000. I think it was just thinking about talking about those ones. So he touched on fear, and the, and the passage touches on fear. So the second part of verse 6 is a passage many of us often quote, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Commenting on this verse, Joby said that fear isn't simply a feeling or emotion, but a spirit that does not come from God. So the question is, to what extent do you struggle with fear? In what ways does it help you to reframe fear as a spirit instead of simply a feeling or emotion. My biggest fear in the faith is uh, boldly sharing my faith with people that I've known for a really long time, like people that I grew up with. Or uh, it's, it's easy for me to share, like I went to lunch with a stranger yesterday and it was easy for me to share my faith with him. But if I was to sit with there's many people I'm not going to name any certain one but there's plenty of people I'm close with I'm like uh, I don't know about all that I fear that I'm saying well or shoot this person here 
Yeah. I don't know what the fear is. It's stupid. It's a stupid fear. I know that. But they know you're a preacher now. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> that helps. I don't have to mess around anymore. Breaks the guy's It does something, yeah. But even Jesus said it's it's been really really good for me to get out of Springfield for many reasons but for for the reason of uh I hate that those people are still there and I'm here. The people that I'm scared of, you know, I'm not scared of them, but the people that I'm, the people that I, that I wanted to share my faith with. But, but now when I go back home, I should have less fear about those things. One, because I don't have to be with them all the time. You know, it's been good for me to be here around and see all new faces and all, all new people. And it's just, it's bolstered my, uh, confidence, I think, which is nice. One thing we got to remember about how long the church has been here: the church has not always had good times. It's like everything else. I had a uh, guy tell me. He said, "You're a great, I get these great uncle." He said. He was treasurer of church, and he said during a depression, when they took up the offering, he'd take it home counting. Somebody sued me, said, how did we do Sunday on the offering? We didn't have enough money to make it. But he said what he wasn't telling you, he reached out his pocket and made sure there was enough money to keep the church stores open. He said, I was raised with him. He said for a while, and he said I soon happened Sunday after Sunday, and he said there wasn't a church member that really realized what he was doing for the church. And he said every Sunday he was counting and paid the bills, reached his pocket, make sure there was enough money. Next, somebody say, how did we come? Oh, we didn't. We didn't have enough money to make them for another week. <laughs> yeah. But he said. He was told to pay the bill. He said sometimes quite a bit of it. So, you know, in our own life, we've had good times and bad times. So the church is. Yeah. We don't have much time left, so I'm trying to. I want to pinpoint one more spot. Okay, let me think. My Bible's got a little question right now. It's, it's talking about 7 through 14. It says, Paul told Timothy, uh, let, let his weakness stop him from ministering to others. His success was not based on his ability, skill, or courage. It was based on the Holy Spirit's power working in him. So that's where you know, you're talking to someone in your life 
that you know pretty well, or anybody to that point. We always say that uh, if they reject, they're not rejecting us, they're personal. But we we uh, we got to count the Holy Spirit doing doing His work and using our word for most of the time to say the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the reason I put so much stock into reading so much scripture, not unnecessarily in sermons, but reading so much scripture because one of my favorite catchphrases is God's word much better than my word. And and something I say might spur somebody along, you know, to, to accept Jesus, but God's word was written perfectly. My words aren't perfect. So I just, I think... Okay, if sometimes our human mind is like, oh my gosh, we're we get kind of bogged down and we don't have so much respect for the word of God as these are the actual words that he wants us to know. And we just, you know, sometimes we just I go through seasons of like um I don't know how to say it without sounding offensive to the word. Sometimes it lulls us to sleep you know and that ought not be the case we it's it's what shapes us it's what grows us and and then when we're saved the holy spirit uh it makes so much more sense to us but there's power in this in this word just like the holy spirit and you know he tries to be saved and speaks to your heart when we read this word Right, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes the lights on the way's on. Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah. You just read more. Yeah. But I also think that it's inspired that maybe we didn't know what it was saying that day, but you go back a week later and you go, oh uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah. This is what it is. And we weren't in the right stage right then to know what it meant. Yeah. You can read it over and over, and it each time it makes it, it makes more sense or means something different. Well, it always means the same thing, but we interpret it different. something different. Yeah, right. You said it better. I said it wrong. I'm trying to find a closing point. There's so many, they gave me too much information here. Here's a good question. Joby summed up Paul's instruction to Timothy in chapter 1 with this statement. Build your life and ministry on the gospel. Here's our closing question. Are your life and ministry built on the gospel? How do you know? My answer was yes. My attempt is to dedicate my life to gospel ministry. That's my answer. And gospel ministry doesn't mean necessarily that we are a pastor of a church. If we're saved, we are ministers of the gospel. At home, at work wherever we go so if your life isn't dedicated to ministry built on the gospel make some sort of slow and steady change to make it that way and we have a business meeting so i'm sure people are trying to get in here uh we'll do we'll do prayer requests and then we'll head on out